ラタタラララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララララ Joined by FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright. Guys, I'm already fil-、uh, finding our groove here once a week. It, it's just, it moves my week along so much more. I, I, I'm just getting excited by the time it, it rolls around that we get to sit down and talk every Wednesday night. And I, I'm just ready to get into tonight's topic. I was just really excited to sing the King's part again. It's been a while since I've got to sing Hamilton for people to hear, and I think I nailed it again. But I am also excited to talk about fantasy football. <laughs> Anybody else here? Yeah, you got the walrus playing through an injury. Didn't think I was going to make it in tonight, but here, ready to go, locked, loaded. Let's rip it up.、Uh, in full plank through an entire、uh, episode. That's going to be impressive. Your abs are going to be burning.、Uh, yeah. Got a herniated disc in the back, causing a lot of pain. So everything's already burning. Abs are welcome to join the party. I would not recommend that. I would just take those one at a time.、Um, guys, I got some super exciting news, some super excited draft news. Tell us, Todd. I was able to get Lonnie White Jr. and Troy, Flank- Troy Franklin in my draft. Tori Franklin in my draft. So, are those like rugrats, like first grade? Like, what, what's going on here? They're high school seniors. High school seniors. <laughs> it's Debbie draft season, baby. Slow draft, been going on for over a week. Oh, it's good. It's good times. Yes, I'm enjoying Lonnie White Jr. had D1 offers in three sports, and he's ranked as a top 30 wide receiver, but the majority of his highlights were him at quarterback. I was like, Yeah, that's intriguing. And he's going to Penn State. So I feel like he's going to get an opportunity. So I, yeah, it was fun, man. I, I love this draft because it's just all a bunch of dark throws. It's all a bunch of dark throws. You go look at numbers, you look at landing spots, you think about opportunity. Then you, like, you, know, you go through your rankings, you watch the highlights in the film, and then you just put together what you see with your eyes and just take your best guess. And it's phenomenal. I love it. At some point, I feel like Todd is going to start scouting pregnant women and their partners. Just to try and figure out, like, what's the genetic makeup of this kid and how is that going to affect his Debbie prospects?、Um, you did not use the correct term. It started doing that. I started. Oh, excuse、that. me. Yes. Yeah. That database should be coming out soon.、Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> my other piece of exciting update is gentlemen, the logo will be updated soon. Ronnie. Ronnie Evans, who's phenomenal. Go look him up on Twitter. He's got his, if you follow me on Twitter at FN underscore Banterman, his Twitter feed's in my logo. Does phenomenal work. I'm going to get that third ring and that third finger up for you guys so you can just admire that every time we converse on Twitter. I can't wait for that, Todd. And also, he did the Tale Two Rivals artwork too. We've gotten a, gotten a bunch of compliments on the new artwork or the new logos and the avatar. So, yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie's good people too. He,、uh, he does good work. He, he works well with you, and、uh, I definitely recommend、uh, checking him out. I will definitely get his Twitter handle ready for the end of the show 
So if you're looking for that stuff, uh, check out that at the end. Um, Dave, what do you got going on, buddy? A bit, little, a couple updates. I just launched a Patreon a couple hours ago, and blown away by the support so far. I think I'm up to ten patrons so far. Just overwhelmed uh, that people are are interested in what I'm doing here when I'm just muddling around, clicking some buttons on a spreadsheet. But as part of the rollout, it was a new NFL database that I'm really proud of. Spent a lot of time on all my pre and that goes back to 2009. It's basically my weekly database, but going back to 2009. All of my previous free content will remain free. It's just a place to host it all in one place. So you don't have to go sort, sort through Twitter or click a bunch of links. It'll be all in one place. But there will also will be exclusive videos, rankings, spreadsheets, and more. And just check out my pin tweet at FF underscore Spaceman if you're interested. But really excited to people who are interested. And they're just asking for advice on Excel or whatever. And I'm just really already getting started with that. So shout out to, to the patrons. I can't believe the patrons, man. Holy crap. Yeah, man. It's pretty impressive. So... uh Two bucks, we can get the a month. We can get the databases, the videos, and the dynasty rankings from Dave. That's pretty good. Three bucks, you got the personalized Excel sheet, uh, Google sheet help, and then personalized spreadsheet creation and graphs. I might join that, and you can make my spreadsheets. Todd, uh, I actually, I'm probably as a bonus as co-host. I might give you guys the NFL database just so you guys can ha- we can all have the same data to draw from because it really you don't have to go searching through seven different. Websites is all one spot. So. I'm on to him, Todd. He wants us to have access to this so that when we continue to beat him, he's going to blame us using his own information against him. That's cool. I'm fine with that. He can blame anything he wants. I can just point to the scoreboard. By the way, Dave, I'm totally going to add up all my titles that I've won against you very soon. All I know is I have one from 2020, and it's glorious. I, I Quinn and I were talking about it uh, like an hour ago, just about how much more at peace I seem. I'm not my my breathing at night's been better. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that uh, a redraft league can do that for you, buddy. Um keeper league, Todd. One keeper. <laughs> <laughs> one keeper. Um, a personalized podcast and video chats to answer fantasy football questions. Um that's pretty good, man. I like that one. That's that's gonna keep you busy. So But enough about my Patreon. I, I love it. I, I love it, man. Subscribe to Dave. Get out there, FF, FF Spaceman. Patreon, do it. I'm not doing that. That's too much work. Um, <laughs> so, um, but anyways, question of the day. Kennedy, take the reins. Yeah, so for the question of the day, I know this was going to be a big favorite of Dave's. I actually already knew his answer before I asked it, but still wanted to throw it out there. So if you had to live in any kind of past decade or era, which one would you want to live in and why? I'll start off here. It's de- it's definitely the late 1860s, post Civil War, during the height of the Great American West. Uh, you know, just my rifle pony and me. That's that's all I'm about. I just love that picture of like John Wayne, all that stuff. And I really I understand that's not actually what the West was like, but in my head that'd be fun to kind of live like that way. But in reality, it's just a life of full of disease, violence, and a very low standard of living. Uh, so if I really had to choose, and like this was serious, I'd probably say. Like the 1970s, like early 60s during the techn- like the computer revolution, or and, and like during the uh, you know civil rights and stuff like that. I really can't believe you didn't stick with the uh, the late 1860s. There, you talk about it all the time. What a big fan of Deadwood you are! Oh, yeah. if you ever actually look at that, they're miserable. Their their teeth are rotting out. They're in pain all the time. There's no medical. It was Anywhere. a terrible time to be alive. Oh yeah, you're sleeping on hay. Terrible time to be alive. I I was just just waiting on that. That like 
so Dave does not want to live to doesn't want to live very long. That's pretty much what he's saying. Good lord. And no fantasy football. That'd be pretty miserable. Yeah, there's no spreadsheets in 1860, bro. All right, Todd, what about you? All right. So first, I'm immediately in the 20th century. Sure, Civil War time would be interesting. You know, revolutionary time would be interesting. But, you know, I also like living. So it's tough. I feel like I feel like music would really drive this answer for me to a certain degree. I feel like like the late 60s, like the 60s would be great where you get like, you know, like the Beatles coming in and you get like, you know, like early Floyd, Zeppelin, all that going into the 70s. That'd be cool. But if I really had to think, okay, Sean, I have a, I have a, I have a follow up question to this question. All right. If I live in this decade, can I not go live in the next decade and I go back to my present life? Oh, it's like a Marty McFly scenario. Yes. Yes, you can. I'll allow it. Okay, so I'm definitely going to... So the 1920s would be great I, if I don't have to deal with the depression. Um, so that's awesome. You know, freaking booming time. That's when everybody started just partying and, you know, living, like, just just literally just spending money partying, drinking illegally, and just... Yeah, man. I mean, Cotton Club, all that stuff, gangsters. Good times, dude. The 20s. The 20s was, uh, you know, getting all Gatsby up in there. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. Boardwalk Empire, phenomenal show. Great show. Steve Buscemi. Phenomenal. phenomenal. Definitely would try to get myself into the mob because I've, that's all I, I mean. because I. They would forward. never take you. You're too braggadocious. No, no. Yeah, okay. That's true. All right. For me, I'd be dialing it back to feudal Japan. Love it. Love oh. the samurais. Love the shogun. Whole consensus, man. Give me a Kurosawa film and I am good to go. Also just finished playing up Ghost of Tsushima. Amazing game. Highly recommend to everybody. I actually did not think about going international, but I like that. That was a great question of the day, dude. All right, then. Moving into our topic for tonight, we're going to do our consensus rankings. Following up from last week's quarterback, we're going to hit you with the running backs tonight. We're going to be talking about 1 through 12, highlighting their differences, why we're higher, why we're lower. But before we jump in, I want to pick your brains about philosophy. Now, we talked last summer about zero RB strategies, you know, taking RBs heavy early, kind of trying to spread it out a little bit. But just in terms of your rankings, how do you guys approach it? And what are the valuable qualities in a running back that you look for that leads them up your rankings? But outside of just the value conversation, just how do I approach the RB position is I I, I get very data-driven, very analytical in that peak RB production has been shown to happen in the first two to three years of an RB RB's career. And also that's where the, the greatest difference between fantasy points scored and ADP occurs. So where they're, they're being valued by the community and the further they get along their career that shrinks. So they're being valued highly because they're scoring high. So there's not as much value to be had there. So that's part of it. So I'm not, I like to maximize that value and production early on. And while it's peaking, in while it peaks by the time that second contract hold, uh, rolls around, I really want to get out of those those elite RBs by the time year four or five hit because that's when you're going to get the most value for your trade. People really want uh, people really want uh, Nick Chubb right now. He's very high. He's right at that 25, 26 age mark. There's a lot of run- Dalvin Cook right now. He's peaking. Alvin Kamara. There's a lot of running backs, and you can get a lot for them. So I want out by this time. I I, I want to mine that value, and I want to create a, pi- a rookie RB pipeline coming into my onto my roster. I want to be selling for high, get those rookie picks, and more on top. 
and just keep that churning over while I have those that staple of young uh, wide receivers whose value lasts for a long time. And I just want to be clear here too. I'm not doing this because I want a younger player and they'll have a, a, a more dynasty value for a longer period of time because that's not what I'm about. I don't care about how much how long my value will be per se. It's that I want it's it's been shown that they score the most points in that time frame. So I want them when they're scoring the most points. And that's why I target that way at those younger RBs. It's not a an eight like a how long I can have in my roster for anything. I want them Yes, do they does that naturally occur because they're young? Yes, but it's I want that prime point scoring season and they're cheaper to acquire. You can get Nick Chump or Nick Chubb in the fourth or fifth round of a startup. You can get Dalvin Cook. He was going, you know, fifth, sixth round when he came in, and now he's a top uh now he's a top first round talent. So that's what I how I like. I want them to accrue value on my roster. I don't want to draft a guy who's 27, 28, who's only gonna be good for for a year or even acquire him or have him maintain on my roster where I know that people already talk about his age and stuff like that. So, and yeah, and, and we also have shown that as RB scoring, how it works, it's not as sticky year to year. That volume is tricky because of offensive line play, how good the offense is, their touchdowns are very volatile. So, and they're not as stable as wide receivers and tight ends. So that's kind of also plays in my mindset of why I want those young players and I can project that volume going forward because I don't care what happened in 2020 anymore. Yeah, does it help me tell you how good they are and yada yada? But 2020 points no longer matter in 2021. I want to predict what's happening next year, not what's happened in the past. So that's my philosophy. What have you done for me lately mentality? Not even what have you done for me. What are you going to do for me tomorrow? Not, not what did you do for me last year, two years ago? Fair enough. Todd, tell us about your philosophy. So I, I think like one of the things that Dave and I are uh, different about when we went about our rankings is, and I'm not trying to misrepresent Dave this, but I feel like Dave was focusing, he talked a lot about like where guys' values were in picks and rounds and stuff like that in in startup drafts. I'm not thinking about startup drafts. I'm not thinking about that. You're in a league, you're committed. You've, you know, this league's been going on for a little bit. So to me, it's a totally different conversation. I'm talking about like trades and making moves, right? One thing that Dave and I do agree with is about community value, which, you know, if you're with people that are very into Twitter, those are people that are going to be very influenced by that. We are in a league that has people that's kind of like 50-50, you know? So, like, you can kind of gauge your community just from, like, our group chat and stuff. So, how you're viewing the way that things move in your league, that's definitely going to play for values. For me, like, a good example of that would have been, like, Eckler for me was a big value target for me at one point, And that paid off at one point and then he had the injury this year so um and the other thing too is like when i think about running like rookie running backs i'm starting to be like do they really have high value because it costs a ton to either get those guys because you give up significant assets to have the the the, the draft capital to get them or you have to just suck you just have to suck to have that pick you know so for me like i'm kind of contrarian with davis i'm I am about current production, and it's worked for me. And I'm not trying to say that I strictly base off of that. It's tier drafting for me. Studs are studs. People tend to, I feel, plan too far ahead, try to predict that potential and max out. Yes, I've heard the data. Dave has told me many of times. I've read it. I don't discredit it. But I also think because of those conversations, you see guys get driven down, like your Aaron Joneses, your Derrick Henrys, your Nick Chubbs. 
those are the guys that I would like to be looking at. So also by that that standard to me, that would be meaning that we're selling CMC, Cook, Henry, and Kamara by the, this offseason or Barkley in a year. So proven studs over potential studs for me. I play three years at a time, and there's tons of variability in the running back rankings. Just like we've, if we looked at what our rankings were last year to what they are this year, it's going to be pretty different upside to maybe the top. So to me, like, Give me those proven guys. Give me those guys that have done it. And But I do want to go off and say I'm not against young running backs. I just think that people go so crazy about them that you can find value in other places because when people zig, you can zag and find value, and that's where you're going to make the most. And also, if you have one of those young running backs, you could turn them into a chub or something like that. Plus, so to me, when I look at my running back rankings, I'm looking at guys that are going to produce for me that year, or maybe the year after. And then in three years, there's still potential there, but I'm not really thinking very high about year three. So, yeah. And I think that those rookie running backs are already trying to reach level the guys are at. And like I said, Dave's right about the data speaking to that, but I'll get burned by riding that stud, and and then I'll figure it out later because I feel like that's a win-now mentality, but I also think that it also doesn't bury you for the future. So, yeah, that's kind of the way that I approach it. But most importantly, I'm extremely fluid in this process. I I feel like my rankings will adjust month to month as I reflect, have new information, new thoughts. But I did put a lot of thought into this top 12 for where I'm at right now. I feel like we shouldn't be surprised to learn that Dave and Todd are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum here where Dave's staying committed to his process and Todd just kind of winging it. I would say winging. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a little more nuanced than winging it, but I mean, I guess <laughs> I not staying as committed to your process. I'll phrase it. No, nah, no, no, no. My like the, when Dave and I started this podcast, Dave was the numbers guy and I was a gut guy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I use data. Yeah, I I I'm not as like focused on finding that that piece of data that speaks to me about the majority, like for me, it's like, I see this guy, I see this production. I don't see the the cliff coming. I'm in. And I am just so sick of everybody using Todd Gurley as the example. Everybody doesn't lose their knees. Stop using Todd Gurley as the poster child for this conversation. All right. I agree, Todd, because that he went, obviously when I was talking about this, that jumped to my head about Todd Gurley. But it's not even necessarily how – I don't think Todd Gurley is like the person because he actually hit his cliff a little bit earlier than you'd expect. I'm not trying to use him as the poster, but my point being is that is that a lot of times it's not – we're not expecting like, oh, I'm not bailing on this guy and I don't think he's going to be a, a total turd. I just think that he's maybe he's like an RB2 and I'm no longer getting that. When I go to trade him, I'm not going to get that ROI. I just like having a lot of flexibility too. I think that should go into it. I like a lot, a lot of flexibility in my roster, guys that I that I can move if I want to and that kind of thing. And I find aging running backs are a little harder too because everyone's worried about their workloads, workloads. I don't really get into the workload thing. I just care more about the age part. That is a huge difference. That is, I'm so glad you said that. I think that's one of the biggest differences between us. Like, and I, it's not like when I acquire a player, I'm not thinking about their trade value, right? That guy is somebody I'm going to play, you know? And I'll worry about moves and value later because I'm thinking about competing at this moment. Unless I'm in a rebuild. Totally different conversation. And that's a totally different way to approach this. My rankings, if I were doing a rebuild, this would look completely different. This is about competing. 
All right, so I'll also use Melvin Gordon as a good example for value because I think Melvin Gordon was a huge payoff wherever you got him for whether it be trade, startup, whatever, because he was probably, I don't know, like 17, 18 range, finishes the RB14. So that's a guy who produced above expectation. I mean, he didn't like blow it out of the water, but he was a high RB2, you know? So, yeah, I mean... I kind of feel like with the youth movement and trying to like max out in the moving of pieces, I get it. But that's why I like the other guys because there's value and there's cheaper. You know what I mean? And then you can go and get and you can build your depth. You can get those playable pieces. And then you can play matchups a little bit more. So when people get so obsessed about youth and you go the other way, go ahead. I'm also not against having rookies. I freaking love having rookies. But it's just so nice to get what you can get back from moving them because people get so hung up on the age. Sean, you were a Melvin Gordon manager. He tanked a lot of weeks for you before, but he also came through in some weeks. But he was he wasn't as dependable as you would like from a running back, right? He wasn't. Yeah, it was a um, it was a gut reaction to CMC going down. Most RB twos are variable. That's why they're RB twos. If you're looking for a guy to consistently be week in week out, they're not an RB two. They're an RB one. Yeah, he. Um... You know, I played the matchups and I never really regretted having him on my bench when he dropped. You know, he didn't drop like three touchdowns on my bench any week, but. There were a lot of weeks when I needed something and he just wasn't there to give it. Todd bring, actually brought this up about he's an RB2. Part of my philosophy is, is I don't I want to stay out, try to stay out of the RB2 range because of how volatile their scoring is. I really like RB try to get multiple RB1s or ascending running backs because they have more consistent week in and week out. I don't I either want guys who I think are going to come up in value like a Chase Edmonds or a Mike Davis or handcuff type guys. I don't want the Philip Lindsay's or this year was Todd Gurley, or guys who are just, you know, have, or David Johnson. I, I want to stay out of that range. I want either the, the, the more consistent players or people who I can think move up out of the top 24 into the 24. If you're looking for consistency, then you shouldn't be looking at running backs. You should be building through wide receivers if that's really the way you're looking at it. I mean, if that's the way you're looking at it, then. You got slapped by Zeke and Jacobs and players like that. You struggled with Taylor early on, you know? You did not have Montgomery as that steady guy. There's so much just variability at that position that I get where you're coming from, but it's kind of like you have to kind of pick and choose. I'm going to build through a position where they're going to be more consistent to be putting up big numbers. And also, I feel like wide receivers have a bigger chance to put up bigger games now because of how much the league throws. So I get where you're coming from, but like, if we're looking about the consistency standpoint, I'm just, if that's what I'm really going for, I'm going to be looking to build in other places. I think we're just going to disagree because I think top 12 running backs are more consistent. RB2 was inconsistent, because, but there's other factors in there. Thing is, is that RBs is, is more of a, there's uh, less RBs to go around. That's a higher demand position. There's more wide receivers uh, in the league, more, there, there's more pass attempts. All we can get into that whole thing. How I, so I agree, Todd, that I like wide receivers, how they hold their value year in and year out. But the week to week consistency of those top running backs, like if you have a, you can just queue up Alvin Kamara and how every week or a Christian McCaffrey or those top, those top elite running backs, we can, we got that. That's a difference maker on a fancy roster. I'll remember you just said that about Alvin Kamara later. Yeah. Speaking of, you guys ready to talk rankings? Let's do it. All yep. right. So we're going to run through them one at a time. And coming in in the top spot, unanimous ranking number one, Christian McCaffrey. Be age 25 in his fifth year in the season. His 2020 finish isn't even worth mentioning because he missed so much of 
this season, but does the time away heading into his fifth year give you any pause that CMC should be lower in the rankings? Not for me. He, you know, he was first in points per game. I know he only played three games, but CMC. So part of the two, when I start getting into more granular and breaking down running backs at a thing, expected points is a thing I might have talked about in the past, but it's a rotoviz metric that per, how many points, fancy points is expected based on their volume and where they're used. Uh, CMC is a 10 and 10 guy where he gets 10 expected points, fancy points through the air and 10 through the, on the ground. And when you can get that kind of floor with the upside of the rushing touchdowns, the receiving touchdowns, that those, that PPR floor. Oh, mwah, give me CMC. Yeah. He was injured this year, but yeah, I still, he's his floor, his dynamism. You can't, that cannot be replicated. That cannot be replicated by at any other position, what he can do. Todd, anything to add? Um, so it does give me pause, but I, I'm not the injury optimist here. That's pretty well known on this show. However, you can't deny the level that CMC is above the competition. It'd be the idea of like, I'm not missing out. That's what it is. CMC is the stud of studs, you know? So when Dave talks about consistency and running backs, CMC is like the guy who's going to consistently just dominate for you if he's healthy. So there's also talk about him possibly being back at the end of the year. And obviously, I personally think he's probably healthier than they went on. There's just no reason to play him for where they were. So, yeah, so I, I'm optimistic about him coming back. And if CMC is healthy, he's he's just a beast. He's He's the best there is out there, you know, and... It's like I kind of feel like he's in a class of his own. He's in a whole separate tier. Yeah, so. you can't touch that volume. You can't. You All can't. right, coming in at number two, Saquon Barkley, age 24, heading into his fourth year in the season. And another one, a 2020 finish not worth mentioning because he only played in two games before having his whole leg blown apart in that just tough injury. He guts out, he comes back, gets hurt again, makes it even worse. Now, Dave and I both had Saquon at two, and Todd, you had him all the way down at four. Why four? So I don't think it's a four. It's like where he's at in my rankings right now. The one thing about Saquon is it's like it's not his first serious injury. So that gives me a little pause with that. If Saquon starts showing that he's ready to go and he's healthy, and he should, um, he's going to shoot up my rankings. Now, the two guys I have ahead of him, which we'll get into later, they're phenomenal. You know, like, and I could easily see Saquon going over them at some point. But where I'm at right now, those two guys in those two situations, I'm more firm about. And also, they're in better teams. So Saquon is in a, it's just in a hellhole with the Giants, you know. So, yeah, the volume would be there if he's healthy. There's been some health concerns there. When Saquon's healthy, he's the two all day. But right now, I just, I got to see a little bit more about the health updates. So, my thoughts on Saquon is he was one of those a 10 and 10 expected points guy in rushing and receiving as a rookie. So he's got that. That is just a holy great. I, I can't stress how having both passing and rushing floor like that is so attractive. But that was Packers' rookie year. Now that what I hear a lot of I see on the Twitter sphere, a lot of people are worried about him being on New York. There's a lot of talk about how bad the organization is and how they're going to squander the prime of his career. And I understand that. But. Their or uh, their O line last year ranked them the low twenties, so twenty one, twenty two, and a lot of the important football outsiders metrics. So it's not like it's a total crapshoot. That offensive line is getting a little better. So when you're that point, that's the offensive line doesn't matter. It's more like those really awful offensive lines that you have to worry about. And then 
The other thing that does give me pause is Daniel Jones at quarterback. Daniel Jones doesn't throw to running backs like Eli Manning did back, I think, when when Saquon was a rookie. Uh, so they were like 26 last year and, and targeting the running backs. Now, also, that's without Saquon. So maybe they'll target Saquon. They would target running backs if Saquon was there more. But that the way that offense is set up, I, I worry that they're not going to feature the best part of Saquon. And like Todd said, it's a worse team. So that's why... I, I pause, but ultimately, he's he's a stud. He's got the complete package, size, speed, athleticism, receiving ability. I'll take that any day of the week as far as a running back's concerned. Yeah, I'm with you, Dave. I need to see something on the field that gives me reason to doubt him at number two. Whether it's he doesn't have the burst, it's a change in his usage, it's Daniel Jones just still not throwing to him, but there's got to be something tangible there. So that's a low O-line two. Low O-line 2 at 21. I'm That's what I'm going to start talking about O-lines. Like, they're an O-line, low O-line 2. So that's not good. If they're improving, they're still bad. So I totally get it. So that's the thing. You guys say you need to see something on the field, like, for him to be lower than that. For me, I still have him 4. It's not like I tanked him. There's just two studs right there that I'm confident that are in the same tier as him. So I'll take those two guys I'm more confident about right now. And once I see some more things about Saquon, the offseason health, all that, it's very easy to jump back up. But I could also see those two guys staying ahead of him just because they're in better situations. All right. Coming in on number three, rookie sensation, Mr. Jonathan Taylor out of Indianapolis, who ended up as the RB7 on a year. He had 36 catches, 1,468 total yards, and 12 TDs. Now, I think, Dave, we're going to let you go first on this one. This was a unanimous pick, but it still seems worth dissecting. And the one thing I want to know is Jonathan Taylor, right, end of the year, really comes on strong. He had flashed a couple of times throughout, you know, week two, he had a big breakout. He has posted another big game in like week five, somewhere in there. But over the final five weeks in half point scoring, he had 21 points. 29 and a half, 17.5, 19.4, and then 37.9 in week 17. And I know you think week 17 is for Mark ass tricks, but for the sake of the argument here, we're going to include it. Is this the floor that we should expect from Jonathan Taylor next year? I wouldn't say that's the floor. No, I don't think it's the floor at all. The reason why, so I want to Jonathan Taylor, honestly, he's close to be my RB1. I'm very easily, I could very easily move him up to one. The only reason why he's not is because I don't know what that QB situation is, and Philip Rivers loves to target the running backs. Uh, he likes to target the running backs. I'm worried that a QB who comes in in the future might not target the running backs as much. So that, and while Jonathan Taylor did, he I think he might have had two drops. Oh well, he dropped his first passes of the year in the playoffs. Who cares? But I he did flash that receiving skills that not a lot that people had, were had doubted. So that's why he's not all the way up at one because that's where I want to put him because of things I've said of like how, where the the peak production for running backs is. But I'm going to be temperate. I I think I, I we're I think we're all in agreement at three. However, would you guys? I'm kind of curious. Flip this back on you guys. I'm not 100 percent confident that we're going to get a James Robinson s type workload out of Jonathan Taylor. I think they're very comfortable with this Naheem Hines Jonathan Taylor split. That's how I, I could see them very comfortable doing that forward. Hopefully there's less Jordan Wilkins, but I don't see that changing necessarily. What about you guys? I don't think you have to worry about Hines as much on the ground. I think he's going to have this James White-esque kind of role, just the passing down back, um, kind of like what Eckler was when Gordon was still in LA. 
before he held out. And that's some competition and he won't be the true bell cow there, but I don't I don't see Wilkins being a big deal at all. But I think Taylor has the skill set to in like a Nick Chubb kind of way, still make great use of the opportunity that he has, even if it's not a full time role. Yeah, I actually think that um I, I think you're right, Dave, but it's pretty much what Sean's saying is like I like obviously Hines isn't gonna like hurt him from the rushing side, but he does significantly limit his receiving upside. And it's not a detriment to Taylor because he's proven he can catch the ball. Hines is a fantastic receiving back. <laughs> he's just he fits a he's just an upgrade there for them to do that. So um Hines is like a really good play in a deeper league as like a third running back if you're looking for like a depth way because he's got a certain skill set that NFL teams like and will utilize. So yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. But there I mean he did still show some receiving use and like, you know, thirty you know, thirty nine targets is solid, you know, but he's 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 gonna make his living on the ground and and Hines isn't gonna touch that very much. And we're trying to split hairs at this point, so this is just why he's at three for me and not not higher it yeah there's probably not a lot of distance between these names now coming into rb4 alvin kamara the rb1 in 2020 next year he'll be in his fifth year in the league at age 26 he had 81 catches 1688 total yardage and 21 tds now todd you were the most bullish on kamara you had him up at two i had him at four and dave had him all the way down at seven so dave why so low he was low for me because I am, well, I'm pretty confident that we're not going to see Drew Brees next year. And we, and they seem pretty confident about having Taysom Hill take over that QB position as a QB, QB of the future for that team. They also have some cap difficulties in New Orleans. I'm just worried that we're going to see a overall talent degradation in New Orleans on top of Kamara had a lot of TDs this year. That I don't, I don't, I don't think we can expect him to score tees at that high rate. Even though he does have that skill, ta- skill to be dynamic and is a great scorer. Even though two years ago, coming into the season or coming into the season, people didn't think that. Uh, I think Kamara is great. He's just a player where I'm totally cool of of trading him after he just dominated this season. I'll I'll reap that that, that those assets that I can require in return and just replenish my whole team by trading off of Kamara. I like him. I think I think he's great, but that's just how I am with Kamara. Todd, why is he wrong? Why do you have him at two? Well, first of all, Dave's always talking about receiving upside. The guy's had at least 80 catches for four straight years, right? Yes, I understand Drew Brees is going to leave. Throwing to a running back is not that freaking hard. Like It is for un- Taysom Hill. Well, <laughs> he's, he still was putting up pretty fantastic numbers with Taysom Hill, too, except for the Taysom was the two put- games under 10 fantasy points. Well, but the thing was that Taysom was more poaching touchdowns for him at one point, and he still put up 16 touchdowns. So even putting up 16 touchdowns while Taysom was poaching those, you know? So on top of that, I'm also not convinced that Taysom Hill is going to be their quarterback of the future. You know what I mean? Like, you saying, like, oh, they seem pretty content with that. I'm sorry. Did you talk to Sean Payton? Like, do you really know that that's what they're going to do next year? Like he they just gave him to, the money, Todd, to make it seem like that. Uh, I don't. I don't. He he didn't get QB money, dude. And they still have Winston there. They didn't bring in Winston if they were so sure of Hill. So there's a lot of things that could happen there. There's, they could do a lot of different things. And Kamara is the kind of guy where his floor is he's going to catch the ball. He's always finished an RB one. He's in an RB one every year of his career. And then he's also the guy that's capable of being the number one overall running back in the entire league. So you're looking at the ceiling and the floor, the receiving upside. The guy just knows how to find pay dirt. He's the featured guy in an offense. And with Drew Brees leaving, 
you're going to want to rely on your best players to be able to do that, and they're going to try to work around Kamara. Whoever's going to come in and is going to be able to do that, they're going to have to know how to get the ball to their best playmaker. He's the best playmaker on the team. He's a better playmaker than Tom- Michael Thomas, and that's quite saying something. They're both beasts. Alvin Kamara offers the best ceiling and the best floor in this group, oh, besides CMC. All right, moving on down to number five, Mr. Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Next year, he'll be age 26 in his fifth year. This year in 2020, finishes the RB2 on the back of 44 catches, 1,918 total yards on 17 touchdowns. Now, this was a pretty consistent one for us here at A Tale of Two Rivals. Dave had him at four. Todd and I both had him ranked at five. Guys, any cause for concern with Cook? Any reason that we should be moving him up, moving him down? Obviously, we put him where he is, but what are like the points of caution with Dalvin Cook? Usage. He, he's he's just been used so, so much. Um, I worry about him wearing down, but I'm not the kind of person that's going to buy into that theory until I see something showing me that that's happening. The guy is finishes an RB2 this year. He catches the ball. He's absolutely dynamic every time that he's on the field, whether it's running or catching it. He's an absolute focal point of an offense that is getting better, you know? So, yeah, I mean, my only concern with him is usage and if he's going to break down at some point. But, I don't know, I'm not super worried about that until I see some signs of that. Now, just to clarify, do you mean usage in a way that maybe Alexander Madison starts to take on some responsibilities or it's just a 100% cook and then he starts to break down, so then it becomes Madison? That's an excellent question. It's about breaking down. It's not about Madison. I mean, I think, so if I have cook, I'm overspending on Madison. And it's not because I say you always have to get your spellbacks. Matson's a guy that if he gets the opportunity, he has like top 12 RP upside. So he's a handcuff that you need to have. It's kind of like what we talked about with Edmonds with, with Drake. Like those are one of those premier handcuffs. Pollard's another example with if you have Zeke, you got to go out and get him and overspend a little bit. It's more about Cook breaking down than Matson taking his work. But if Cook were to break down and Matson takes the work, Matson's going to be legit. Legit player. Dave, what do you have to say? So just looking at Dalvin Cook as a pure running back, he or not even pure, because he's also a decent pass catcher too. He is good. He is an evaded tackle machine. He can which just shows you his talent outside of his volume, but then it shows you his volume, and he is consistently 19.1 weight opportunities, which is basically it weights, targets, and rush attempts. He, he it is just ungodly to have that kind of weekly floor. And I agree with what Todd's saying about him wearing down. People who watched Dalvin Cook a lot this year saw him leave. A, he, I think he missed a game and a half, or he left at half a game. I know for a game and a, or a half a game for sure because of injury. There was a couple games where he came out after it looked like he he hurt something. He just takes a, a beating, and that's when you can trade a guy who's. I think we're actually a little low on Cook. I think a lot of people have him up more three, two, or one. Uh, I think the idea of this is where I think his the value situation comes in. I have him above other players like a Swift or a Dobbins just because of where other people value him and what I can get in return. But in reality, I think I would rather have Swift Plus on my team and, and I let my actions speak. Now, that didn't work out for me this year because Swift didn't come through. But it just shows you that you can't dismiss about the, what we say all the time. Volume is king for running backs and Cook is king of king of volume as far as running backs are concerned so that's why he's four uh he, he's just so freaking good he really is he's really good 
Yeah, thanks for giving me Cook. He was helpful. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I love you having you have Kamara and Cook on the same team. Well, whatever. I mean, Kamara's one of your seventh running back. You shouldn't be that worried. All right, moving on to number six, DeAndre Swift of the Detroit Lions. Next year, he'll be 22, entering into his second year. He finished the year as the RB20. He had 46 catches for 878 yards and 10 touchdowns. But he also got off to somewhat of a late start. You know, he had that that just ugly drop in, I think it was week one, that cost them the game. Dropped it heading into the end zone, had some dud weeks after that. But, I mean, he had a couple of games either up over 20 points or right at 20 points. And Dave, I think you're probably the most bullish on Swift out of all of us. So why don't you take it away? This is, again, where you have to take a lot of things affect running backs. Is we don't know. I don't think we can be 100% confident what the quarterback situation is going to be. We don't know what the coaching position, the coaching is going to be. There could be a lot of upheaval in Detroit. So there's a lot of question marks around Swift and why I'm not projecting he'd be higher because we have seen what his talent, his dynamism is, his receiving ability, his goal line work. Opportunity speaks, volume speaks, and that flo- that receiving floor on a bad team, they're going to be in a lot of catch-up situations. Give me Swift. Give me those, those goal line opportunities. I just really like DeAndre Swift. All right, so Dave was the highest on Swift at five. Todd, you had him at seven. I actually had him lower than that, too. I actually originally had him at eight. I had Chubb over him, but so... Pit, my guy at six, we haven't got to yet, so I won't say anything. That's my tier break. So, like, Swift's at the top of this tier for me. So, once I get past that point, this is where I start thinking about upside, you know? And this is the pick that makes me, like, I would be sweating whether I should be taking Swift or Chubb. Because I feel like I like I agree with Dave with the upside and everything, with his receiving, the goal line, that. But he plays in Detroit. And... I don't know what's going on in Detroit right now. And that's the part that makes me worried about it. But on a tale of two rivals, rookie pod on the rookie preview, I said that he was the best all around back. And I still believe that in that class. So I'm going to bet on that talent. I'm going to hope that they turn it around. Cause I also think that that's where this is where you take a risk and have the upside play right there. And that's how I feel about the next pick too. So I moved swept up above Chubb because of the upside, particularly with the receiving. All right, and speaking of that next pick coming in behind him, fellow rookie J.K. Dobbins. He'll be entering into his 22-year season next year. He finished this year as the RB31, a little receiving work. He had 18 catches, 925 total yards, and nine touchdowns. But what's worth noting about Dobbins is, as we saw Mark Ingram really just become dust in the wind, Dobbins turned it on from week 11 on. He had at least 10 carries. And he scored a touchdown in every single one of those games. Dave, what's your take on Dobbins this year? This is probably my biggest projection out of anyone in the top twelve. He did not have he didn't show it this year. I mean, he showed it in spurts and he was very TD dependent this year. But and what he did get the opportunity, he shined. But this is just a projection how I think they're going to be moving forward with this team. It'll be an I, I still think it's gonna be an Edwards Dobbins uh tandem next year. I think they re-signed Edwards. You're going to love him with 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 Lamar Jackson because there's going to be a lot of red zone, that Baltimore offense, a lot of lot of dynamic. Uh, what do they call it? The Q, rushing QB upside that that uh, running backs have because it neutralizes those those linebackers. And I don't want to ramble on too much about Dobbins because because he has the athleticism, he has the size, he had college production, and he has a draft capital. So yeah, what 
there's a lot to like about Dobbins going forward. Todd, any reason to be concerned for Gus Edwards or anything else with Dobbins? Should always be concerned with Gus Edwards. The man is a beast. No, I mean, with Gus Edwards, there's like this is by far the most dynamic pat, uh, rushing offensive football. They almost had 400 yards more on the ground than the team at number two. So they're going to like go through the go through the ground. And Dobbins is a phenomenal talent, phenomenal talent. When I was thinking about the Clemson Ohio State game uh, for this year, that was a big surprise with Ohio State taking down Clemson. All I can think about the year before is just how good Dobbins looked, and now that he's connected to that offense. You started seeing that talent at the end of the year. He started coming on around like week eleven. He looked phenomenal, dude. On like double digit points across the board. I mean, you know, his best week was week seventeen. Nobody cares about week seventeen, but that's when he started turning on. You're starting to see him progressing when you want to see that rookie running back progressing to invest in the future. So for me, for projections, I want the talented back that's going to be the lead back in the best running offense behind the best running quarterback. And with Gus Edwards there, it does worry me with vulturing because he's a phenomenal goal line guy. But I'm not I'm not with Dave on that. I, I think that Gus Edwards could leave and get a pretty decent payday somewhere. I'm not saying he's going to get become rich. But I could see somebody throwing some extra money at Gus Edwards. So time will tell. He gets a second-round tender, Todd. I don't think anyone's signing him if he gets a second-round tender. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that. But, you know, even if Gus does come back, I'm still not that worried about it. But I could also see, you know, if Gus were to move on, then that would obviously help things too. But Gus Edwards for life, baby. And just before we move on, is that J.K. Dobbins, too, he was very elusive. And he had a 27.3% juke rate on not a a ton of work, uh, a lot of evaded tackles. He can make things happen on that field. So we could see how his his talent was in a smaller sample. So if he was ever to just get a bigger chunk of that role, what he could do. And I would like to think we could see maybe a little bit more of an improvement in that overall, that Ravens offense from this year, because they did hit a couple of uh, valleys this year compared to where they were the year before. So maybe if they could, a little bit of that spark, man, could J.K. Dobbins really pay off? And the only thing that I wish that they would just target J.K. Dobbins more, as people are trying to shut down that overall Ravens offense, because if you look at how they're playing Lamar Jackson, they're making him throw the ball downfield. And then he's, if he doesn't get it, he's rushing or he's trying to make things happen with his feet. Instead, you see J.K. Dobbins open so much. And if they could take advantage of that, oh, my God, could J.K. Dobbins be good? But this is wishful thinking at that point. this point. I actually do see that offense evolving. They're going to need to change things up. There was obviously aspects of that offense that need to be changed. So, yeah, I, I'm actually really high on Lamar next year. I, I, I think that people got a little low on him this year after having such a dominant season the year before. So, yeah. I, I, I expect high things from the Ravens next year. All right, moving on to number eight, Mr. Nicholas Chubb. He'll be 25 next year, his fourth year in the NFL. He was the running back 13 in 2020 on the back of 44 catches, 1,217 total yards, and 12 touchdowns. Dave, you and Todd both had Chubb right in the same place. He was right securely at number nine for both of you. Now, he made it up to eight because I had him at seven. What are what are the pros and cons to Chubb? Why isn't he higher on that list for you? Especially you, Dave, because you had Zeke above him, which I was surprised to see. Yeah, that I actually I'm not 100 percent confident in my Zeke ranking. I I get maybe a little bit wishful thinking of Dallas returning to their offensive prowess once Dak returns. So 
people forget that yeah Zeke was really good to start things off. He was dynamic, catching the ball at the back. A lot of good things out of Zeke, and that tailed off. And Zeke just was inefficient, really inefficient at times. The fumbling, all kinds of things. And and Zeke's getting older, and you can. I'm not. He just doesn't show the same uh, juice that maybe you could say that he had in the past. How all that's just kind of anecdotal. But why not Chubb? Uh, like why not Chubb higher where you have him at seven? I they just don't. Chubb is such you we saw how good he is catching the ball. Man, if they could just take advantage of him in the open space. Oh man, I, I just Kareem Hunt. He's there for another 2 years. There I he, I think he's never going to have quite that workhorse level of where he's going to be a top 3 running back. I he has the ability to be a top 3 running back in my opinion, but I don't think he's ever going to get the volume to do it. And that's why he's a little lower for me. And he's getting up there, he's getting towards that second contract. And people are high on Chubb that we've seen him be well, so that's why I, I'm more I'm more willing to try to move Chubb for other pieces. But I still love Chubb. He, he's on a, a lot of my he's on all my dynasty teams, all, all of them. So <laughs> every single Chubb. one. Yeah, you fiend, Todd. Agree? Disagree? I agree. I mean, he's an unbelievable talent. I mean, I think that he only falls here just based off of you know the talent in front of him and some guys that just offer a ton of upside. And like I said, I had Chubb at seven and I moved him below Swift and Dobbins because of I, I'm a big fan of Swift too. I mean, obviously I traded for him and then I traded him to Dave, which was hard. And then um Dobbins is just in a phenomenal situation. But Chubb is probably as a natural runner, the second best behind well, maybe third. I think Barkley might be a little bit better than him too. Behind like Taylor too. I think Taylor's unreal too as a as just a just running the football. Chubb is right in the same level I think that Kareem Hunt being there, who actually did finish higher than him, but granted, obviously, you know, there's other factors there with the fact that Chubb did only play 12 games, but they're only one spot apiece. But that still goes to show you that, like, they want to use Hunt. Hunt being there, he's not going to be the workhorse. I love Chubb. He's an unbelievable talent. I think that he would be a guy that you could be trading uh, Dobbins and Swift to go get Chubb plus. I think that some people would be about that. Uh, they might have that much higher. You got to go find the right owner. But Chubb, I think, would be a good target in the offseason because I think that he's going to be devalued to a degree because of uh, other people's opportunities in front of them. I think we're in the minority, Todd. I think a lot of people have him at five. So I think we're in the minority. I think that running back rankings, I, I'm not listening to minority, majority, whatever. I think that it's super, super varied when it comes to running back rankings across the board. Yeah, what so, week? Yeah, what week? What did they? It, it's tough. You know, what week yeah. did you make this decision? Yeah. Right. And also, we're talking about this in January. So, but my <laughs> whole point is that, like with Chubb, is that I do think that people are, and then you, you got that rookie class coming in. You know what I mean? Ricky Fever is going to set in, and we'll see how that dictates things. Like, I could see a ton of people wanting Cam Akers over Nick Chubb. I could totally see that, and I don't understand it, but th- those people exist. Go find them. Bring it down to number nine, Derek Henry. He'll be 27 next year on his fifth season in the NFL. He finished 2020 as the RB3, only 19 catches, but nobody expected anything more than that, for 2,141 2, total yards. He had 17 touchdowns. Rushing King, I was hoping he was going to break the rushing record, um, but obviously that didn't happen. So, Todd, you had him at six. Why six? I also had him at six. 2,000 rushing yards. An entire offense like built around him. Double-digit like rushing touchdowns for three straight years. Didn't have high usage his first two years, too. 
and he's built to last, dude. Like, he's a different story than the rest of these backs. Like, yes, he might take a punishment, yes, but he's built to take it better than majority of the other backs. He is a beast. He is possibly too low at six. I yes, the receiving upside's low, but nobody is featured to the level that he is in other offenses. I mean, he wants a twelve hundred carries, dude. That's insane. And yes, I understand usage and breaking down possibilities. I think he's the outlier. That's what I'm going with, and I'll get burned by that. And I'm going to get burned by a guy who ran for two thousand yards. Fine by me. Now, Dave, you didn't even have him in your top twelve. Why not? Erroneous. It's bold. Yeah, he's at the point where he's at that age cliff for me for a running back. I, I if, and you've already seen people are. I want to have a movable, if a guy who you have to invest this kind of capital into on your team. I want it to be flexible. I don't want it to be a a devaluing asset on my roster. So that goes into it too. But I mean, what can you say? Derrick Henry's really, really good. I just think he can be schemed up. You can stop Derrick if you. We've seen it, especially towards the in, in December. People said, oh, he's a December running back. He got shut down a couple times here towards the end of the season where he let people down and let, let down the playoffs. You can see how Derrick Henry can be schemed against and let the other let Ryan Tannehill and the other wide receiving op, the receiving options beat you. I think that's possible to happen for Tennessee. I, I, I'm curious if people try to do a bit more of that next year instead of just being Swiss cheese as a defense. Uh, but that's it's it's age, it's that it's all that goes into it. It, it. I would like him up here, but then I put one other guy ahead of him just to to get on Todd's nerves. <laughs> well, it's on my nerves because this is like so overthinking it. A guy runs for two thousand yards. Oh, I'm gonna just look for the cliff. He's built like a freaking truck, Dave. You know what I mean? Like it, this isn't like we're not talking about like Saquon or like like you know. CMC, who's built like a regular person, this guy is a freaking Greek god who runs the football. And, like, people can scheme to stop him. He just ran for 2,000 yards. Apparently, it didn't go that well. And you're talking about falling off the cliff. In playoffs, he went for 215 yards, 147. Then he really disappointed with 98. So, it really wasn't like he was, like, flopping. Yes, I expected. I traded for him in the week that Dave beat us in. He didn't score. But he still had 98 yards. I even said to our friend Sad, I was like, I can't really get too mad about a guy going for 98 yards and calling it a bust. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, if 98 yards is a disappointment, then, you, then yeah, that's a little ridiculous. He's the most expensive TD-dependent running back in fantasy football. That's how is how a guy is. who runs for 2,000 yards TD dependent? Because when you look at because when you look at when he doesn't score a TD, now, mind you, he scores a lot of TDs. However... I just like I, I I would rather have a Kamara because he has that PPR floor. He's got and not I'm not you were not arguing because you also would rather have Kamara, but I just want that kind of archetype over Henry. And because I don't want to rely on that TD that TD game script. And yeah, he can win you weeks and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm out. I, I'd rather just take the value and run. That's and it's not that I I think he's a bad player or anything like that. It's just I'd rather take the value and run. That's how a lot of my my rankings are. It's not that I I think they're bad or anything. I just take the value and run. I think for a guy joining the 2000 Rush Club and saying he's TD dependent is ridiculous. That's he, ridiculous. In fantasy football, he is. Look at his scoring. Look at the weeks where he finishes top 12 or top 24. He doesn't do it unless he scores a touchdown. I Yeah. I, all I know is that he finishes the RB3 on the year. So he probably did pretty well across those weeks. I don't have that in front of me. 
But at the same time in front of me, I mean, the guy went for 16 to 17 touchdowns. So, yes, he's doing it consistently. He's putting up yards. The entire offense is built around him. I think this is when you start getting stubborn and overthinking it personally. And then Tennessee consistently underperforms in the playoffs because they're built to run a running back. Maybe they should throw the ball more. Maybe they should target A.J. Brown more. I don't know. Just me. Okay. That's That's not happening. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can say what they should and shouldn't be doing, but that's not what they're doing. I agree. Assuming rational coaching and getting bowing out for two years in a row, and I'm not disagreeing. I actually think they're going to continue doing this because it, it, this is how they want to play and how Mike Rivell wants to win. I just think it's a little, it's not totally optimal if I was a organization where I got beat the same way twice. This is the blueprint to beat me in the playoffs. Maybe I should do something else with my team. But that, this is, that's another point. I think Derrick Henry, people are going to be very happy with him next year. Prop most likely. I'd just rather be out a year too early than a year too late. Yeah, I'll just reap the benefits and win again. This is where our title is different, Dave. All right, breaking it down. Two, we're into the double digits. Running back 10 on your Tale of Two Rivals consensus rankings, Ezekiel Elliott. He'll be 26 next year when he enters into his fifth year in the league. He finished 2020 as the RB10 on the back of 979 yards for six touchdowns and 52 receptions for an additional 338 yards and two more touchdowns. But... I got to say, Zeke probably lost a lot of people. Some playoff matchups or just stopped him from stopped them from getting to the playoffs. Zeke was as unreliable as it gets this year between the fumbles, the benching, how just cratered that offense kind of became once Dak went down. And we had him ranked all over the place. Dave, you were the highest at eight. Todd has him at 10 and I had him down at 11. So Todd, why 10? You were right on the button here. Um, I, I mean, he still put up numbers to be still in that, in that, in that top 12 class. He's still a great player. I, the, I mean, the Cowboys are clearly a mess once Dak went down. When Dak comes back, that's a whole different element to the offense. Zeke is by far the guy who could easily rise the highest that we have him ranked in this list. This could be the guy that we look back on and we go, yeah, in January, like, we were really on down on Zeke, and then, like, he jumped right back up to being the top four back. Like, it, it's totally doable, you know? But, yeah, I mean, you're starting to see him maybe take a step back. And I worry about Tony Pollard a little bit because I kind of feel like Tony Pollard offers a skill set that's a little different than Dak, and I can see them scheming using both because I actually think if you start using Pollard as a receiving back a little bit more than Dak, I mean, excuse me, Zach, then Zeke, that could kind of put into his, like, you know, his PPR floor with, uh, because Zeke definitely catches the ball, but Pollard's a phenomenal receiving back, too. So there's a lot of variabilities there. And, you know, he had a down year and just a lot of question marks. So, and there's actually a back that I like more than him that I put lower, but his situation's a little more unsure. So, yeah, just a lot of question marks about Zeke. But, he could definitely answer all those questions very easily next year, too. And Dave, you had the highest at eight. Why? Why are you still believing? Uh, it's actually funny how Todd said how he could be the highest, go up the highest out of all these. In my head, now I don't disagree with him because the reason why he's here is because I think if Dak returns, and I mentioned this earlier, just what that could do for Zeke, he would be a top three running back again. However, he could also, he, I could easily, someone could make an argument. I could just take Zeke out of my top 12 totally. But, like, I have, I don't feel confident saying Zeke over Henry at all. I have Zeke over Chubb, and I don't love it. I have Zeke over everyone else. I just everyone else in my rankings. I I could make an argument for it. However, just the idea of his upside on that Cowboys offense with Dak just is too intoxicating. And the, but also, I have to say to myself, 
hey, people think that it's the the Dallas Cowboys offensive line of years past. It is not. I agree with Todd. I think Tony Pollard is going to be more towards a 30-33% type opportunity guy instead of a 80-20 split like people would want to have for Zeke because Zeke is Zeke is a volume. We talk, I, I, I knocked Henry for it. I can knock Zeke for it right now. Zeke's very volume dependent. He doesn't – like Henry can break big runs. When was the last time we saw Zeke with a big, big uh, touchdown run? When was the last time that happened? When was the time where Zeke made just an amazing play? Where we see Henry do it consistently. So I could almost talk, I'm almost talking myself out of Zeke right now, even though my rational process is putting me Zeke at eight. I, hate, I actually hate it. I hate Zeke at eight. I hate it. I hate it. I actually am with Dave on that. I, I don't really like having him in the top 12. In fact, when I sent you guys my list, I forgot Zeke. Like, I didn't have him ranked. That's probably not for the fact he's forgettable right now you know what i mean so like dave's right it, it could totally happen and um i kind of felt the same way about putting him over the other two guys that i have but you have you have to buy into the fact that a rebound for zeke could pay off big let me ask you guys this now dave just said the offensive line isn't what it used to be they've got to shore it up somehow that defense was the worst in football this year they've got to spend some money there and they have to sign zach uh Dak above all else right They've already got a lot of money locked up. Is there any likelihood that they trade Zeke? Because I don't think there's a way you can have Dak, Zeke, and Amari Cooper. They can't because his, like, if you look at Zeke's contract, he's, like, locked in for another at least two years. I think it's another three years where his con, and that's the thing we didn't mention, Todd. His contract is going to make him beyond Dallas. They they can, he they'll, oh, my God, if they cut him, they, they dead cap up the wazoo. If they trade him, it's, it's, it's cap up the wazoo still because it's essentially trading and cutting is almost the same thing uh, as far as cap's concerned. It's, ugh, it's, it's, uh, that's another thing is just that they're because they made such a terrible decision investing in Zeke instead of Dak that the Cowboys are in this position and that's going to almost have they feed, have to feed, feed Zeke to rationalize that, that contract. All right. Moving it on to number 11, Mr. Aaron Jones. He'll be 25 next year when he hits his fourth year in the NFL. He finishes the running back five, which makes him one of the highest disparities from his finish to his ranking for us here. His 2020 stats were in 14 games, he had 1,104 yards for nine touchdowns, and he caught 47 balls for 355 yards and an additional two touchdowns. He's also a pending free agent. Now, Dave, you didn't even rank him in your top 12. Why not? Uh, I don't know about his, his situation. I think being tied to an Aaron Rodgers offense is incredibly valuable. Like the Packers overall are just showing how valuable their running backs touches are. And without and not having that, I just worry that he's not going to have as, as a good of an offense. He, they don't use him well in the, as well in the receiving game. It's just, there's so many variables. That being said, I think Aaron Jones is a, a phenomenal running back. But this is where I think I just have always have to tell myself the the situation, how important that is for running back success. There's so much that goes into it that I have Aaron Jones out of it, and I think he's a good player though. He won me my he won me a championship this year. He, he's a great player. So he's out on Dave's, and despite the free agency that's hanging over his head, Todd still got him at number eleven. Why? I think I'm too low with him too at times. I had him at seven at one point, and he just slowly made his way down. And it was bothering me. We, I talked about him being a buy this season because of everyone going crazy about the touchdown regression, which happened, totally happened. 
but he proved that he still had value and wasn't touch on the pendant. He finishes RB5. What else does this guy need to prove to know that he's a stud running back? So, I don't I haven't really thought about the landing spots with him, but wherever he goes, he's going to be the workhorse. He's going to be a guy they're going to use. You're not going to pay the money you need to pay Aaron Jones to split carries with somebody, you know? So, I hope he stays in Green Bay. I don't think he stays in Green Bay, but I still believe in the talent, and I still believe that whoever's going to invest in that talent is going to feature that talent. New York Jets, come on down. That would be the only I might <laughs> that might be the only team that would just plummet him. So there we go. So it's kind of like my my whole thing with the I'm not an injury opt. I'm a I'm pessimistic about injuries. I'm optimistic about free agency. Yeah, I'd like to see him in Atlanta. Aaron Jones in Atlanta would be dirty birdie. Oh, yeah. The number 12 spot for the tale of two rivals consensus running back rankings goes to undrafted free agent James Robinson. who will be 23 next year in his second year in the NFL. He finishes the running back four this year on the back of 1,070 yards for seven touchdowns, 49 receptions for 344 yards and three touchdowns through the air and was really the only bright spot on an otherwise forgettable Jags team. Now you both had him ranked square at 12. Do you think that's sustainable? Do you think he'll climb up next year? Do you think he'll fall down a little bit or is this, is this right about where he belongs? Todd, what do you think? So I got to throw Dave some credit. He's an absolute workhorse this year. He got the volume. He was productive. He was fantastic. That offense is going to change. They're going to have Lawrence. You don't really know. They're going to have a new coach. Lots of questions. But Dave also said, why couldn't they draft the back? They didn't really put any capital into him at one point to me. And I was like, it's like a glass-shattering moment. I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally feasible. So they could not utilize him the same way next year. But you still can't deny the production. You still can't deny the age. And you can't deny that that team is about to get better on offense significantly. So there's so many positives to go with those question marks that – Putting him 12, again, might be too low, especially when he's outplayed two rookies that we put ahead of him. But he's just he was just so freaking good this year, man. We just don't really know what the Jags are going to look like next year. I'm. It's more about who the coach is coming in than anything for me. I, I, I hope Robinson gets the same kind of work that he did, but it's just not guaranteed. Fair enough. Dave, similar concerns, different concerns? So... I'm not necessarily worried about them investing in a running back, at least high-end running back, just because, one, I don't think there's a lot of great high-end running backs that I think that are just going to immediately come in and just make Robinson irrelevant. Uh, now, there's there, there's definitely a couple of good running backs. In this. I'm not going to just poo-poo this class or anything. But I think that most likely what's going to happen is is that that team situation is going to get better with Lawrence. The, the offensive line hopefully is going to make it some more improvements. Uh, they invest some more there. Uh, coaching, hopefully that philosophy, that a lot of hopefuls surrounding his situation. However, most likely they do acquire, they need to upgrade at least backup running back. They can't go into the, the season again with Divino Zigbo and uh, Daria Gubinwale or whatever his name is. That I don't think that's optimal. So what you could see is uh, instead of what Robinson, what made him so great was in so game script, like he that. Everyone was like, oh, he's on the Jags. Why do I want to invest in a Jags player? Because that team's not very good. What made him so so reliable, even though it was a bad team, was he got he led the league in opportunity share. He was uh, he dominated that backfield. Now, 
it's more likely that you could see him drop down to 70, 72%. And the loss of a couple touches a game, you just might not get, it just might dull the excitement around James Robson a little bit. So that's, whereas I just, it's tough to get too confident just because everything's changing in, in Jacksonville. So that's why he's not higher. Uh, my co- the co-host over at Rookie Fever Swag is gonna hate this. He loves him some James Robinson, and I can't I can't fault him because you look at the peripherals: great at evading tackles, decent at catching the ball, a lot of a lot of productive things surrounding James Robinson just outside of just volume. So he was a tricky one to to uh, to, to mark in here, but yeah, I was happy with him at twelve. Yeah, I think it's a good ranking. I um, he was right outside of mine. He was at like thirteen or fourteen. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't think, I think if you hit gold like that in the UDFA, you don't turn around and drop a second or a third round pick on a running back. I just wanted to clarify that I didn't want to say that I think they're going to invest significant capital in the running back. They had a fourth round, fifth round running back that cuts, that that gets work, that could cut into his workload. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah. I think we're at the same page with that, Todd. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, we did it. The Tale of Two Rivals consensus running back ranking analysis is in. And to run you back down through it, Number one is CMC. Number two is Saquon Barkley. Number three is Jonathan Taylor. The fourth spot is Alvin Kamara. At five, you got Dalvin Cook. Six, Mr. DeAndre Swift. Seven, J.K. Dobbins. Eight, Nick Chubb. Nine, Derrick Henry. Ten, Ezekiel Elliott. Eleven, Aaron Jones. And twelve, Mr. James Robinson. Todd, any any last things to add before we wrap it up here? Man, how Joe Mixon has fallen, dude. It is wild not to have him in here. But it's totally justified. Yeah, he's a hard one. I felt the same way about Miles Sanders. Like those two are just like I don't know what's going on with them, and I didn't feel right about really including them heavily in this for my rankings. Dave, what about you? Yeah, I agree. Miles Sanders was in consideration for me. For me, he was at twelve for me at one point. Uh, guys that I think that should have been in there that I didn't actually. Todd, all of his players are in the top. Our consensus top twelve. So Todd was, is kind of towed the line here. Sanders, I think, was the only one not in the, your top 12 that didn't make the list, Sean. And then two players for me that didn't make the top 12, they didn't make the consensus top 12 that were in my top 12, Cam Akers. I had him there before he went off last weekend in the playoffs. So I was I, I just want to say that I'm not totally reacting to last weekend. Uh, I think Cam Akers has the size, the speed, is getting the workload, and... I just think he's the re- he's a he's a legit dynasty RB one moving forward. So I like where K Makers is, and then Antonio Gibson. Yeah, I've talked about he had a really soft schedule where he went exploded. I think he wasn't quite himself still dealing with that toe injury. Antonio Gibson's attractive moving forward, especially too. We could I could just over. I think I'm being optimistic at what I think the Washington football team is going to be moving forward. So I'm also makes me a little optimistic on on Gibson. Yeah, and Ceh and uh, Sanders were the other two guys for me right around twelve. And everything made everything easier when I just forgot to put Zeke in. So I was like, oh, well, this is done. I like how you mentioned CEH, Todd, because I think people, the hate has gone a little too far on CEH. Uh, he has a chance in the playoffs to remind people that maybe why they got so excited about him. I think we could he could be one of the players that we could see the most value spike based on how he pl- plays in the playoffs. So that's just – I just think – I agree with you that CEH should be in this conversation at, at, in the bottom 12 of – of these rankings. I mean, he was a rookie and still attached to a phenomenal offense. And yeah, I mean, 
He's still finishing RB2. You know what I mean? He he was an RB12 before he was injured, and he, right. and he didn't score as right. many touchdowns as, as he possibly could have with his volume. So, I, right. yeah, I think, right. Todd, right. we're not as different at, as, as... Yeah, we're pretty different, but we're right, we're on the same page on this one. No, we have, we, we have different... We have similar reasons to like people. Just for some reason, you just tend to get carried away and like them too much. And, yeah, and I get carried away, and you just use stone tools to chisel in things for your rankings. And then I three-peat. Hey, it works for the Egyptians. Those things are still It did work for the Egyptians. Thank you, Sean. All right, Dave, where can they find you and what do you have going on? Take us out. You can find me at FF underscore Spaceman. I'm a writer for Dynasty League Football. I was just talking to the Mr. Dynasty himself, Ryan McDowell, about what my plans for the offseason are. A lot of exciting things that I'm looking forward to. Up next, I'm updating my... Updating my rookie prospect database, which is free for everyone. You can find that on my Patreon page. However, once that is, then I'm going to start really pushing out the content, some videos, articles. Once I've I've done all my data mining, then I can just start with the analysis. So I'm really excited. I know Todd really wants to start talking rookies. So that's kind of what's on the horizon for me. And then you can also check me over at uh, Rookie Fever Podcast with Mike Fanaro and Shane, uh, Shane Swags. Fantastic. Todd, what about you? Where can they find you? Guys, when can we talk about the 2023 draft? When can we start talking about that? No? 2023? Yeah, when can we talk about the 2023 draft? When can that happen? In 2023. Losers. All right, so you can find (laughs) me at FF underscore Banterman on Twitter. Mostly pushing that Debbie live, but I do throw in my dynasty stuff all the time. Um, but yep, so definitely check out the uh, the IDP's rookie guide that I'm going to be a part of. That we're also working with the guys over at uh, Dynasty Vipers, like Calvin Hobbs and um, and Dingus. Everybody knows Dingus. Also, I wanted to plug Ronnie Allen Evans. Ronnie is the guy that makes my logo and the Tail Two Rivals logo. So check him out at Ronnie R O N N I E. A Evans, phenomenal work, phenomenal guy, totally worth checking out. So, gentlemen, it's been a good time.